the devil, writes Alistair Crowley in his book Magic in Theory and Practice, does not exist. It is a false name invented by the Black Brothers to imply a unity in their ignorant muddle of dispersions. A devil who had unity would be a god. If it were simply the case that what Crowley suggests is true, that the devil doesn't exist, then perhaps the figure of the devil wouldn't be worthy of our regard. But maybe it's apparent in Crowley's remarks that the non-existence of the devil is not non-existence in any simple sense at all. If the devil had unity, he would be a god, says Crowley. So, is there something here about existence implying some sort of unity, but that unity being precisely what the devil lacks? But that unity is precisely what is ascribed to the devil by the Black Brothers, those counter-initiates or enemies of the truth who work against the spiritual progression of humankind by ascribing unity to the devil and a false name. These nefarious magicians raise the devil to the undeserved status of a god, but in doing this they misconstrue the devil's true nature, which Crowley describes as a muddle of dispersions. So, although that muddle and those dispersions would seem to have existence, the devil assuredly does not, because to ascribe a name and some kind of unity to these dispersions is unwarranted. But why would someone do that in the first place? If it's an error, then it seems an error that the Black Brothers are intent upon persisting in. The devil may not exist, but that insistence on attributing unity and a name to him certainly seems palpable and capable of having an effect in the world. Could it be then that there really is something here worthy of our regard? Could the true nature of the devil consist not in the existence of something, but in an enduring impulse to bring something into existence as a unified entity which is, in reality, being misconstrued. Crowley writes, It was said that in order to invoke the devil, it is only necessary to call him with your whole will. 
This is a universal magical truth and implies to every other being as much as to the devil. For the whole will of every man is in reality the whole will of the universe. It is, however, always easy to call up demons, for they are always calling you, and you have only to step down to their level and fraternize with them. They will tear you in pieces at their leisure. Not at once. They will wait until you have wholly broken the link between you and your holy guardian angel before they pounce, lest at the last moment you escape. Yet again, it seems there are some interesting subtleties here, according to Crowley, calling the devil just as it does to invoke any other entity requires only the application of our whole will. And this is because, says Crowley, the whole will of any human being is the same as the whole will of the universe. Interestingly then, if we call the devil with our whole will, this is also the will of the whole universe. The devil, therefore, it would seem, is in accordance with the will of the universe. It would seem that it's not the case that the devil is some sort of aberration, in some sense not supposed to be here. If we call him, then, in some sense it seems the whole weight of the universe is behind that also. The crucial difference seems to lie, as Crowley points out, in the way that the devil and demonic entities are always calling out to us. The implication here seems to be that if we find ourselves calling the devil, that's always because we are, in effect, replying or responding to something that is always already calling out to us. Every invocation of the devil is an answer from us to the devil's call. However, Crowley suggests that even when we choose to answer that call, nevertheless, we have a means of escape. The link with our holy guardian angel. It's only once this link has been completely removed that we're at the mercy of the demonic and we shall have to return to consider how this link with the holy guardian angel manifests in our everyday experience because evidently this is vital in relating successfully and safely with whatever we might consider to be demonic. In the tarot, the devil is often depicted as elevated above two figures, one male, one female, who are of much smaller stature than the devil. And these two smaller figures are often depicted as being restrained, their hands tied behind their backs, sometimes with chains or ropes binding them 
to the devil or to the podium on which he stands. And usually the devil himself is depicted as some kind of bestial figure, half human, half animal. He, it, or they, for it seems that no pronoun can withstand the presence of the devil, might sometimes be depicted as androgynous, or sometimes he has his face in his stomach. The idea here seems to be very much that the form of the devil defies the recognised boundaries between the sexes and between species. Although with his larger stature and imposing, baleful presence, the devil seems to dominate these two smaller, more human figures. The anonymous author of Meditations on the Tarot makes the interesting suggestion that, perhaps contrary to appearances, it is the smaller male and female figure who have created, who have given rise to the larger figure of the devil. These two figures might be taken to represent a generative or creative force, but one that gives rise to something that has been misconstrued as greater, more powerful than itself. And in the process, this creative impulse has become enslaved to its own creation. Instead of, as is perhaps more usual, the creation bearing the hallmarks of its creator, here what has happened is the creators of this devil, this being, they have become more bestial in appearance, becoming debased by that. So, how do we recognise this archetype, the devil, in our everyday experience? When the tarot card, the devil, appears in a reading, the interpretation it attracts might include ideas such as obsession, compulsion. Another set of ideas might include the occult or the paranormal or some kind of disturbing paranormal experience. It seems to be the notion of some kind of anomalous manifestation that connects these two sets of associations. The notion of some kind of entrenched delusion that's so palpable it becomes indistinguishable from reality. There can be a very fine line between experiences of spiritual realisation and mental illness. Spiritual experiences can include visions, contact and communication with non-material entities or beings. 
sudden and potentially overwhelming insights into the true nature of reality and the formulation of cosmologies for understanding that reality that may deviate wildly from the accepted mainstream conception. Distinguishing between those contexts in which experiences like this constitute a spiritual awakening and those in which they constitute a mental breakdown, perhaps this casts further light on the dynamics of this archetype because back in the day what we now understand as mental illness was often linked with supposed possession by demons or the devil and conversely the devil or some sort of adversarial being perhaps going by a different name such as Coronzon or Mara, depending on the cultural context, would often appear and participate in the visions and insights of the spiritual masters, saints, as an influence seeking to lead them away from the connection with the true reality of things or the divine. What can often be the distinguishing characteristic between a spiritual experience and a psychotic episode is, in the case of the latter, the experiencer attempting to act out the insights that they have received in the everyday world. It's one thing to arrive at the direct realisation that there's, say, one consciousness in which we all participate. But it's a very different thing to find ourselves aware of how everyone can read our private thoughts and is using that against us in order to control us. Both imply a sense of unity with other sentient beings but it's as if in that second instance that insight is somehow falling out of the spiritual realm and becoming oddly congealed and getting acted out played out as a kind of parody in terms of behaviours and dramas very much on a mundane and material plane. The spiritual teacher known as Baba Ram Das had a brother, Leonard, who was detained in a mental hospital. Baba Ram Das writes, My brother often said to me, I'm a lawyer, I'm a decent citizen, I go to church, I'm a good person, I read the Bible, me they've got in a mental hospital you you walk barefoot you've got a beard you've got a funny name you're out free how do you explain that and I said well I'll show you I said do you think you're Christ 
the Christ in pure consciousness? He says, yes. I said, well, I think I am too. And he looks at me and he says, no, you don't understand. And I said, that's why they lock you up, you see. Because the minute you tell somebody else they're not Christ, they lock you up. Now, I don't go around forcing you to say that I'm God. Because you only come to somebody else when you are caught in an ego drama, when you are caught having to do something. I said to him, Leonard, if you didn't have to do anything to anybody else, nobody would put you away. This conversation between a mystic and his brother detained in a mental hospital, both of them experiencing a connection with the divine, but one of them experiencing that connection as applying exclusively to him and prompting him to make demands on other people that they should behave in certain ways towards him and also that he himself has to act in this way towards them. This illustrates very vividly, I think, how spiritual truths only retain that nature if they're held very lightly. Yet again, it's one thing to want to share those truths with others, but it's another and a very different thing to find ourselves persuaded that those truths apply only to ourselves and that we and others are somehow obliged to enter into some kind of drama together. The reason we might arrive in that place could only be that the place we initially arrived at didn't seem sufficient in some regard. For some reason, evidently, we didn't feel held and supported there. I think this links us back to that remark of Crowley's that we considered earlier, how we only fall prey to the demonic when our link to our holy guardian angel is completely gone. Every time that we misconstrue a situation that's actually sufficient to our needs as somehow lacking, then, in effect, we're re-enacting the myth of the fall, the expulsion from paradise. The devil, it seems, manifests when we feel alienated from our holy guardian angel. In other words, whenever we misconstrue as lacking something that isn't lacking and try to make up for that perceived lack with something, but in the process we become enslaved by that something because it was never really required in the first place. We can become enslaved to the devil by being lured into making up for an absence that was never there. But unfortunately, 
The devil is perhaps not a one-trick pony. He has other tactics, and these can concern presence as well as absence. We mentioned earlier how one of the domains over which this archetype presides is the domain of the occult and of paranormal experience. This area, too, has long been associated with the devil. Indeed, it's still very common today to run into warnings about how using Ouija boards or dabbling in magical practice will necessarily deliver us into the hands of Satan. Perhaps it's not quite as simple as that, but certainly the dynamics of this archetype seem to be very present in paranormal experiences. When we find ourselves confronted by some kind of anomalous happening, there is that diabolical sense of something congealing, something intrusively manifesting in a way that seems designed to overwhelm and consume our attention and to convey a sense of something powerful, something commanding by virtue of the fact that it seems to evade our comprehension. Suppose we see an apparition of a dead person. The dead are invisible. They have passed away from the world. And yet, if we encounter a ghost, it seems as if there they are again, manifested, made material. Or, suppose we're out one night and we see lights in the sky. The lights in the sky seem to be manoeuvring in ways that aren't physically possible or that don't conform to any known aircraft. Nevertheless, <laughs> there they are, even though what it's doing is supposed to be impossible. It's doing it before our eyes. Sometimes, maybe, the devil does his work and accomplishes the same ends, not by disguising himself, but by cavorting openly in front of us. One person might be confronted with paranormal phenomena, seemingly, and in response take the view, for whatever reason, that there couldn't possibly be any such thing, and so they adopt a very rationalistic, scientistic view. In confining themselves to a materialistic approach, could it be that other perspectives, maybe just as valid, are being jettisoned? The finest trick of the devil is to convince you that he doesn't exist, wrote Charles Baudelaire. If we deny the devil in favour of a purely materialistic view of reality, could that be what we're seeing in action? But equally, 
Suppose another person is confronted with some sort of paranormal phenomena and they become obsessed with solving the puzzle of what they've witnessed and they formulate some sort of hypothesis that might offer a solution that makes sense of what they've witnessed. I'm thinking of all those conspiratorial type theories that have grown up around the extraterrestrial hypothesis. The idea that UFOs, UAPs, are the vehicles of alien beings visiting us from other planets. The consequences of doing this are perhaps no different from taking a purely scientific view. Could it be that these kinds of theories end up merely consolidating our own traumas and fears, but now we see them, we experience them being played out in the physical world. There's the danger of becoming enslaved to our very own fears and fantasies. When it comes to paranormal phenomena of whatever type we happen to choose, what makes them paranormal is our inability even to describe what they are. If we can't even define what a ghost or a UAP or a Bigfoot is, then how can we possibly draw any conclusions concerning its nature? Something indefinable seems to be trying to lure us into defining it. Again, there's that sense of indefinability seeming somehow not sufficient for us. But as soon as we fall into the trap, of trying to make up for that perceived insufficiency by defining the undefinable, we run the risk of becoming limited and enslaved by what we've created. However, if we can find it within ourselves simply to abide with the undefinable, the ineffable, then maybe we can escape the temptations of the devil and maintain that contact with the Holy Guardian Angel. Patrick Harper, in his book Daemonic Reality, suggests a deity might be at work behind paranormal phenomena who shares some characteristics of this archetype of the devil. He forces us to unmask ourselves, writes Harper, in the face of his emissaries, enigmatic marks on the cornfields, big-eyed aliens who abduct us into spacecraft, frustrators who dictate gibberish through automatic writing, entities whose revelations are delusions, and whose delusions, if we persist in them, can lead to revelation. He manipulates us, knows our every thought, knows us better than we know ourselves. He is secretive, ruthless, impersonal and inhuman, like a psychopath, 
like a god. If we do not know ourselves, that is, know, discern, heed our daemons and demons, we are easy meat. Unusually, but revealingly perhaps, the danger when contending with this archetype is to call it out too readily. We can fall into prejudice if we attribute to the devil things that in reality are just things that we don't like or don't want to deal with. It's not a sense of internal negativity, but an internal sense of insufficiency that alerts us to the potential presence of the devil. Because that sense of insufficiency is the means by which his temptation can take effect. Once we've recognised that, often it's wise to walk away and break all communication and not enter into any dialogue. Because, of course, as the old saying goes, speak of the devil and he shall appear.